Hi, this is Chris Hart, host of Plugged On with Chris Hart, and I'm taking Michigan over Michigan State in their game October 21st. Bet Online has free odds and lines available online or on your mobile device. Visit Bet Online today. Welcome to the podcast Crime Salad, where we talk true crime. I'm your host, Ashley, and with me always is my husband and partner in crime, Ricky. The purpose of this podcast is to honor the victims through ethical storytelling in the hopes of preventing future tragedies. We want our stories to resonate and educate others in hopes that some of these similar cases with identifiable patterns can be prevented. Now, before we jump in, please let us warn you that this is a true crime podcast. The details of this episode may be triggering to some listeners. Listener discretion advised. On September 1st, 2016, a man named Greg Malvahill, who is a software engineer, received a late-night phone call from a mysterious caller. The call came in around 10.30 p.m. from an unknown male caller who identified himself as a private investigator. He told Greg that he had some information that he might be interested in regarding Diana Lovejoy who is his soon-to-be ex-wife. Greg had recently settled a custody battle with Diana, so he was disturbed to hear the alleged investigator state that the information he had gathered could be damaging to Greg in a future custody battle. Greg was immediately suspicious because he knew that Diana would resort to just about anything to prevent him from seeing their son. She had done just that when she filed a restraining order against him, accusing him of sexual assault and sexual abuse of their young son. Diana and Greg met on a dating app in San Diego, California in late 2004 and were married in 2007. Soon after they got married, they bought a luxury ocean view home in the upscale community of Carlsbad, California. Diana and Greg wanted to have children, and Diana had eight miscarriages before they were finally able to conceive their son, Kale. Almost immediately after Kale's birth, the two began experiencing marital problems. They tried marriage counseling and individual therapy, but their marriage seemed beyond repair. Diana, who worked in tech, was the sole breadwinner after the birth of their son. Greg, who was unemployed at the time, was a stay-at-home dad, though the couple also employed a nanny. In July of 2014, Diana was able to obtain a temporary restraining order against Greg by falsely making claims of sexual assault and sexual molestation. Almost immediately after Diana made her claims, Greg was forced to leave the home, often living in his car. While they investigated the claims, Greg was allowed to see his son 10 hours per week through supervised visitation. Greg had to undergo several tests, including intrusive psychological and sexual psychological evaluations to determine the mental risk or harm to their child. The findings of the investigation cleared Greg and showed that he was the better and more engaged parent of the two. 
As a result, he was granted 50% custody. And this is something that enraged Diana. She imagined a divorce result where neither she nor her child had to ever see Greg again. To make matters worse, Greg's child support obligations of $900 a month went down to zero, and Diana was ordered to pay him child support of $500 per month. Once custody was settled, the two had to settle their remaining financial issues. On June 26, 2016, after an especially contentious marital dissolution proceeding, Diana and Greg finalized their marital settlement agreement. In that agreement, Diana was awarded the family home, but was required to buy Greg out of his half of the equity in the home. At the time, the equity was estimated to be $240,000. Accordingly, Diana was ordered to pay Greg $120,000 by September 25, 2016. That payment was to be funded by either Diana refinancing the marital home or from the proceedings from the sale of the condo unit that Diana owned separately. During the trial, Diana's aunt testified against her. She told the courts that on Christmas Day of 2015, she and Diana met for lunch at a local restaurant in downtown San Diego. During that lunch, Diana asked her aunt for help in finding someone to help kill Greg. She told the courts that her niece had it all figured out, and she was not going to pay Greg a dime, nor was she planning to share custody with him or their son. Her aunt declined to get involved and asked her niece to reconsider and find another solution. And that solution came in the form of Weldon McDavid. Diana met Weldon in 2015 at the shooting range called Iron Sights Shooting Range. Diana told him horrific stories of abuse that never happened, and he listened while giving her self-defense lessons. Despite being married with a new baby, he also began a sexual relationship with Diana where she continued to feed him lies and portrays herself as a victim of the criminal justice system and family courts. And she found the perfect hitman in Weldon because he had a well-documented hero complex he was even interviewed by Dateline a few years earlier when he helped another damsel in distress with an abusive husband. A hero complex is a psychological phenomenon where a person feels a strong need to be a hero or savior and seeks out opportunities to rescue or save others. Together, they were the perfect storm and Greg was their unsuspecting victim. It wasn't long before Weldon agreed to help Diana kill Greg. For the rock-bottom price of $2,000, she had finally found her hitman. She paid him $1,000 up front and another $1,000 upon completion of the job. Luckily for Greg, it would turn out that Weldon, a former Marine and self-described sharpshooter, wasn't such a great shot. On August 31st, 2016, Weldon went out to a secluded walking trail and scouted out the area. The next day, on September 1st, exactly 25 days before Diana was scheduled to pay Greg $120,000, she instead planned for him to die. After Weldon made the calls to lure Greg to the walking trail, he had Diana drop him off at a parking lot in Carlsbad. He hiked up the trail and hid in some bushes 
waiting for his unsuspecting victim. As they planned, Diana gave him some items belonging to her son. One item was an angry bird's towel he expected Greg to recognize. He believed this would help lure Greg into his kill shot range. Weldon placed it at the bottom of the power pole, where he told Greg he would tape the documents related to his custody case. Once he was in place, Weldon used a burner phone to lure Greg to the ambush site. Greg felt uneasy, and he called the Carlsbad Police Department's non-emergency line and told the dispatcher about the odd call he received. The dispatcher told him that it didn't sound odd to her, and private investigators sell this information all the time. She couldn't have been more wrong. Still feeling uneasy, Greg asked his friend and neighbor Jason Kovach to go with him. Greg was armed with nothing more than a flashlight, and Jason was armed with a child's small, decorative baseball bat. Weldon called Greg a second time, giving him more specific directions. Greg was already familiar with the trail, as he and Diana had hiked and biked it many times. Fearing Diana was going to open the custody case with more false accusations, Greg approached the area. As Greg and Jason walked along the path, they saw a power pole with the Angry Birds towel at the base. What they didn't see was an envelope of documents taped to the pole. They were still 150 feet from the power pole when Greg heard a rustling noise coming from the bushes. He used his flashlight to scan the area, and about 60 feet past the power pole, he saw someone dressed in camouflage clothing laying prone on the ground and pointing a sniper rifle in their direction. Greg tentatively said hello, and then Jason screamed either run or gun. They both began running back the way they came when Greg felt something hit his back. They heard seven shots in total, all heading in their direction. Only once they reached the car did they realize that Greg had been shot in the chest. They called 911 and the police responded and escorted Greg into surgery. They discovered he had sustained an entry and exit wound from one gunshot. The entry was below his armpit and exited through his chest. The bullet tore through a potentially lethal area that contained major arteries and nerve structures. And without treatment, Greg would have bled to death. Police talked to Greg before he went into surgery, and they learned that Greg had gone through a contentious custody battle and was in the middle of finalizing his divorce. While investigating the scene, police found a bullet jacket consistent with having been fired from an AR-15 rifle. They also found two towels at the scene, one covered in human fecal matter. Later, the DNA from that towel would trace back to Weldon McDavid. Now, police showed up at Diana's house at 3 o'clock in the morning to inform her that her ex-husband had been shot. And her response was to break out in uncontrollable laughter. Well, her laughter was short-lived because police were able to tie the two towels to her home. They also discovered the burner phone used by the alleged private investigator was sold on August 15, 2016 at a Best Buy store. And when police viewed the store's surveillance video from that date, they discovered it was Diana who purchased the phone. In the video, she was seen wearing a khaki-colored skirt and coral-colored shirt. When police searched Diana's home, they found the matching clothing that she wore when she purchased the burner phone. 
They also discovered on Diana's computer that she had searched for information regarding the moon phases. The sky is the darkest when there is a new moon because the light of the moon is almost completely blocked. Greg was shot on the first night of the new moon. Now, when the police searched Weldon's home, they found numerous rifles, handguns, and parts of a disassembled AR-15 rifle. The complete upper assembly for the AR-15 was hidden under sleeping bags on a garage shelf. The gun assembly had a suppressor and brass catcher attached to it. A brass catcher is what would catch the casings before they fall onto the ground. Well, this brass catcher contained seven used shell casings and one unused round. This matched Greg and Jason's recollection that they heard seven shots. And also in Weldon's Jeep, they found a camouflage jacket and black pants that appeared to have dirt and plant material that matched the ambush site. When Diana was confronted with the evidence against her, she admitted to hiring Weldon not to kill her soon-to-be ex-husband, but to merely scare him from pursuing his custody rights to their son. Accordingly, Diana and Weldon were each charged with one count of conspiracy to commit murder and one count of premeditated attempted murder. Diana and Weldon were tried together. In Weldon's defense, he stated that he was only trying to scare Greg into leaving Diana and their son alone. He said if Greg wasn't guilty of something, he wouldn't have shown up. Weldon testified on his behalf and said if he had wanted Greg dead, he wouldn't have missed. He said he feared for his life and believed Greg was armed. He aimed for Greg's flashlight and then proceeded to fire six more warning shots. Weldon testified that he was a licensed and credentialed rifle, pistol, and shotgun instructor from the NRA. He had been a firearms instructor for 17 years, including while he was serving in the Marine Corps. He joined the Marine Corps in 1997 when he was 33 years old and left the service in 2009 after being convicted of unspecified charges. He told the jury that since leaving the Marines, his shooting skills had only improved. He also told the jury that he met Diana in 2015 when he was her shooter instructor, and she also hired him to install a security system around her house and give her self-defense lessons. He would later say that his biggest regret was not in shooting Greg, but engaging in a sexual relationship with Diana, whom he now believed lied to him. He said Diana purposely manipulated him with false stories that Greg used drugs, molested her son, and was dangerous and unpredictable. He said in June of 2016, he and Diana began discussing strategies to gain evidence against Greg that she could use in a second custody battle. He said on the night of Greg's shooting, he didn't believe, quote, Anybody who's not guilty of child abuse in my mind would not come out at night to meet someone or pick up any evidence that they didn't know where it came from, end quote. He told the jury he intended to film Greg retrieving the evidence, but in the dark, he was worried Greg would see the light from the camera. He also testified that Diana paid him $2,000 to gather information on Greg and scare him, not to kill him. Weldon's defense called Barry Redder as a witness, and he testified that Weldon could easily hit a target from 100 yards away, and if he wanted Greg dead, he would be dead. 
Weldon felt this supported his claim that he was only trying to scare Greg and not kill him. For such a great shot, there was no explanation for why his shot to the flashlight landed in Greg's chest, narrowly missing his heart. Barry Redder also testified that Marines are taught to shoot twice, center mass, and once in the head. The fact that Greg was only shot once in the chest was further proof that Weldon never intended to kill him. Diana's trial strategy was to argue that she was not involved in the attempted murder of her husband. She claimed that she only hired Weldon to scare her husband, and he acted alone and without her knowledge or consent. Her defense team argued that Diana was the victim of Weldon's manipulation and that he had coerced her into participating in scaring her husband. During the trial, Diana's defense team also tried to cast doubt on the prosecution's case by questioning the reliability of the evidence and witnesses. They suggested that the police investigation was flawed and that some of the witnesses had given inconsistent statements. However, the prosecution presented evidence that Diana had a strong financial motive to want her husband dead. They had gone through a contentious custody battle, and Diana would be forced to pay Greg $120,000 in less than a month from the time of the shooting. The prosecution also presented phone records and other evidence that showed Diana and Weldon had communicated frequently in the days leading up to the shooting. Diana herself admitted to picking up Weldon after getting a phone call from him that night stating that he, quote, messed things up. Ultimately, the jury found Diana guilty. When the verdict was read, she looked over at her defense counsel in shock, as if looking for an explanation. And as Weldon was pronounced guilty, Diana's head hit the table and she passed out. She was taken out of the courtroom on a stretcher and treated for shock. It appeared that she had a panic attack, which caused her to faint. Diana was convicted of conspiracy to commit murder, attempted murder, and assault with a deadly weapon. She was sentenced to 26 years to life in prison. Weldon was convicted of attempted murder and assault with a deadly weapon. He was given two sentences of 25 years in life to run consecutively. That means that he will need to serve 50 years before he can be considered eligible for parole, while Diana will be eligible after 26 years. Both Diana and Weldon filed separate appeals after they were convicted. Diana's appeal was based on the argument that the evidence presented at the trial was insufficient to support the verdict. Her defense team argued that there was no direct evidence that Diana conspired with Weldon to carry out the shooting. They argued that the prosecution's case relied solely on circumstantial evidence that was open to interpretation and that the jury may have reached a verdict based on speculation rather than proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Diana's appeal was denied on May of 2020, and Weldon's appeal was denied in February of 2021. As of today, they are both still in prison, serving their sentences. And before we jump off here, I just want to thank our Patreon supporters for supporting our show, Crime Salad. Enjoy the ad-free listens. This week, thank you, Rick, 
Amy, Valerie, Ruby, Karen, Pamela, and Rebecca. Thank you all so much for supporting our show. If we didn't mention you, sometimes we don't get all of the names who do become supporters, especially if you're on Apple. But just know that we love you so much and thank you so much for supporting our show. We really, really, really appreciate it. All right. Have a good rest of your week. We'll see you next week. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.